Romans chapter 1, this is again continuing uh, just a two-part series talking about the wrath of God. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in review. I, I, I don't like to give long reviews, but these the passage we looked at last week and the passage we're in this morning, are they're hinged together. I just can't get through it all in one in one study. So uh, I'm going to back up a little bit uh, by way of quick review. We looked at last week at the five manifestations we see in the word of God about the wrath of God. We looked at eternal wrath where uh, that's the wrath of God that's poured out on lost sinners forever in hell. Uh, we looked at eschatological wrath. We looked at uh, if you look at the seals and the bowls and the trumpet, the judgments in the book of Revelation, that's wrath that's forecast, is predicted, cataclysmic wrath. Uh, with the guys on Tuesday night, we went through this list and we looked at several places in the Bible where God allows a natural cataclysm. The flood is one. Sodom and Gomorrah, and we don't know if it was supernatural fire that rained down from heaven or if it was a volcanic eruption. We don't know. But God does use cataclysms, natural cataclysms, to accomplish his wrath. We looked at consequential wrath, reaping and sowing. Actually, sowing and reaping. <laughs> um, and, and how very often the things that we experience or that uh, Christians and people in the world experience, are, it's a consequence of our actions. And then finally, the wrath of abandonment, which is what we're talking about here in Romans chapter 1 where God gets to a point where he gives people over. Very, very serious. Uh, and and it's, it's critical to understand that as believers, we don't experience this. Uh, I don't believe, uh, and you know, we're not going to have a lengthy discussion on can you lose your salvation or, uh, or not. I don't believe that you can. I don't believe that God's an Indian giver. However, I do believe that that apostasy is real and it exists and that perhaps those people were never truly redeemed to begin with. Again, I'm not going to go down that road this morning. However, we do see that God does come to a point where he stops striving with a society. And I believe that we're there in our nation, in in the Western world. Uh, We're there. Uh, he, it's the wrath of God that comes about when he turns away, when God turns away from a society, when he pulls back his restraining grace. We see that in a, in a big way when the rapture comes about and the Holy Spirit is taken out of here. And the restraining grace that God has is totally pulled from the earth. I believe that we see that in measure now. It's important also to know that God abandons man because man first abandons him. (laughs) He has given man a free will. And when that happens at a societal level or at a national level, that God pulls back. We're no longer a Christian nation. When I came to the Lord going on 40 years ago, we were. It was at at the twilight of our nation's Christian heritage. Yeah, we still have the heritage, but we are no longer a Christian nation. We're a nation that is, uh, for the first time, we saw a president elected totally on the basis, the the whole platform was on the basis of Romans chapter one. Here, what we're looking at. Uh, 
Verses 18 to 23 give us, they, they paint a picture of how it is that man comes to abandon God. Uh, again, this is cause and effect. Uh, as we look at this, uh, I'm going to quickly go through it. Uh, I have a few comments on verse 18 that I didn't cover last week. In verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, the word suppress, uh, again, this, I just want to take this, look at this from a, a little different angle. We talked about uh, uh, different aspects of verse 18 quite a bit last week. Didn't cover this. But the word suppress means to push down or to hold back. So it's not just people just saying, I don't want it. It's people saying, I know it because he says that they know it and, and willfully choosing to push it down, to hold back their understanding. This is a sinister suppression. This is a suppression that's intentional and willful. Uh, in the same way, if you look at uh, crooked attorneys, <laughs> and there are some that aren't, I'm kidding. But if you look at a crooked attorney, and every now and then you hear about an attorney that got busted for suppressing evidence, right? And what he did is he came up with some evidence that if he'd have come out with it, if it had been disclosed uh, during the discovery phase, you know, and all that, that it would have caused the scales to tip against him. And so he suppresses the evidence so that he can have his way. Very much what's going on here, but instead of with matters of law, this is matters of God. And men suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. So uh, we looked briefly last week at the word truth here in verse 18, that it can also be rendered what is right. Uh, they men suppress what is right for what is not right. That's unrighteousness. Uh, they suppress, they hold back the truth of God for what is not true. They suppress, they hold back what is godly for what is not, what is ungodly. You see where he's going with this. And this is clear wording from the original language that this is how these words, this is how this verse settles out. This is very intentional, as I said. Verse 19, because of what may, may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. Understand that. He says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. You see him through nature. We see and we understand the attributes, the, the image that we were created in was his moral image being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts. They rejected the knowledge of God. They suppressed it. They pushed it down. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So uh, we see that in verse 23 that they changed. They, and it's the same word for exchange uh, that we see in verses 25 and 26. They they swapped out. We talked about that. They, they, they pushed down the truth and swap it out for the lie. So in verse 23, they suppressed, they held back the glory of the incorruptible, incorruptible God, changed it, swapped it out 
to worship an image of corruptible man based in his own perverse sense of morality. That's what's taking place here. We wrapped up last week seeing in verses 18 to 23 that there's a progression in man abandoning God. We just looked at the four specific actions we see in this section is revelation to man. God revealed himself. He told them about himself through the things that are made, through the creation. Rejection that they they became futile in their thoughts, their foolish hearts darkened. Rationalization, professing to be wise, they became fools. And finally, religion, changing the image of the incorruptible for that which is corruptible. So God's response, he gives them over. In verses 24 to 32, there's also a progression. As God lets go of his restraining grace for these people that are rejecting him, that are abandoning him. We're going to get into it here. Verse 24, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. This is the first indication that a society has been given over. God gave them up. Therefore, the word therefore here connects to the previous passage. That's the hinge that I talked about. That's why we started with 18 to 23, because you've got to understand that man's abandoning God is now going to result in God abandoning man. He gives them over. This is God's response to that is what's being said. So God's response to man's abandonment of him is that he gives them up. The word is also translated, gives them over. It's exactly the same wording in the original language. Again, as we see in verses 25 and 26, I'm sorry, 26 and 28. Uh, The Greek word for given over is paradidomai. And and it's, it's an interesting word. It's a judicial word. It is actually a legal word. And what it is talking about is God acting judicially. He's officially handing them over in the same way that a convicted criminal would be handed over to the bailiff to be taken off to jail. He hands them over. It's a done deal. He said, you know what? This has been adjudicated. My wrath is poured out. I'm giving you over. And, and, That's the wrath of abandonment. That's what the wrath of abandonment is, is God giving them over. God giving people over. He's saying, essentially, you want it, you've got it. Very, very serious. So given over to what? As we see here in in this verse, given over to unchecked sexual immorality. I started looking around, and and again, I look at this in contemporary terms. Of course, Paul is dealing in an empire where sexual immorality was rampant. Homosexuality was rampant. He's under Emperor Nero when he's in jail there. Emperor Nero had, I mean, he had a boy that he had an actual wedding for. and He was a, a, a hardened homosexual man. And it was, again, rampant in that culture, as it is in ours. So Paul, speaking under the authority of the Holy Spirit, timelessly, is addressing addressing Roman culture. But folks, it, it addresses us perfectly. So the first aspect of God giving them over is he gives them over to unchecked sexual immorality. I looked at, I was looking at some statistics, just looking at where we're at. The annual revenue from the global pornography industry has been estimated at up to $90 billion. Okay, as a point of reference, to put it in context, Hollywood, all of Hollywood, takes in about $10 billion. 
So is, is pornography an issue in our day? Yeah. Sadly, pornography, because of smartphones and, and access, because pornographers love to, they troll for people for, to get them into paid sites with unpaid stuff. There's a ton of free stuff out there. And it's become a, a, a primary source of sex education for children because of the access, because it's unrestrained, it's unchecked. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Dropping down to verse 18 of the same chapter in Matthew 15, he says, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. It's a matter of the heart. Their foolish hearts are darkened. Porn is a, an issue that sweeps across about every boundary. And uh, I, I just caution anybody who, if you're involved in an aspect of inordinate lust, repent of it. Get away from it. It will wreck you. Job chapter 31, verse 1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Uh, I love that verse. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to sin against you in that way, Lord. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. And that amen puts emphasis on this statement. So it is. May it be. So in verse 25, it says they suppressed, they held back the truth of God. That's what it means to exchange. Uh, they exchanged, or, or, or again, this is swapping it out for the lie. They suppressed, they held back, serving God as creator and exchanged, swapped it out for serving created things. That's what it means by the creature here. It's not, it's not giving homage, not giving the rightful place to God as creator, but it's saying, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable with my own idols, with my own things that I worship, those things that I place value in. It's the essence of idolatry. This is man lowering the bar, lower and lower. The result is a moral freefall. Question, is our society, look around, and this is rhetorical, <laughs> question, is it driven by sexual immorality? Yeah. Is it filled with lust in the heart, leading to impurity in the body, followed by dishonorable behavior? Yeah, rampant. As restraining grace is absent from the heart, sexual perversion has become the norm in our society and in our world. Folks, we've been called to live lives that are set apart. And, and, and my admonition to you, my exhortation to you is live a life that's set apart. We can't afford to stray, to allow our hearts to stray. Uh, compromise comes subtly. It comes a step at a time. It doesn't come by getting up in the morning and saying, hey, I think I'm just going to watch porn all day long. No, it comes with a temptation. But you've got to remember that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He will always give you a way of escape. And that comes by faith. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over. He gave them up, which is the same as giving them over to vile or degrading passions. 
for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. So they, they suppressed, they held back their natural function and they exchanged it. They swapped it out for that which is unnatural. Do you see this? It, it, this is not just, I don't believe in God. This is, I am going to push down my knowledge of God, th- that inbuilt knowledge of God. And I'm going to do it aggressively. I'm going to do it intentionally because I want my way. I want to feed my lust. I want to, I want to do it the way that my buddies are doing it. We'll talk about that towards the end of the message. Paul's talking about homosexuality here. Uh, specifically lesbianism, which is interesting because he talks about the woman first. Why? The question is, why would he speak of degrading passions and homosexuality among women before speaking of homosexual, homosexual men in verse 27? I have, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw some things out there. I'm not saying that these are necessarily biblical answers, but they're things that as I've been praying through this and looking at it, uh, the, the things that make sense. Uh, the first is women generally have strong maternal and child protective instincts. If you don't think so, ask Julia. <laughs> uh, they're built in. Uh, I, that mama bear thing, that's a real thing. Uh, you women know it, and, and men, you probably know it too if you're across one. But the point is, is that they're, women are more prone because of these inbuilt instincts to stay in their own lane sexually. They're, they're just more prone to, to not let their hearts wander because these are strong things that God built into women. Also, for women, lust and impulse control, they have different triggers. Uh, men are triggered way differently than women. And, and I think that's just part of how God made us. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, I looked at some FBI U.S. crime statistics uh, from 2019. Just to illustrate the difference, guess what? You know, the world is out there trying to pound the the the, the reality in their minds in that there's this whole that women are the same as men. I'm here to tell you, they're not. I'm married. I know. <laughs> Kidding, but seriously, it, it, the whole thing that's being put forth, the whole feminist movement, is a product of the sexual revolution. It's a product of what we're looking at here. Overall arrests in 2019, 72.5% were male, 27.5% female. Is there a difference? Yes, there's a difference. Sexual offenses. Now, this is excluding rape and prostitution because in prostitution, of course, women primarily are the ones that that's a high statistic. Taking that out and just sexual offenses, sexual crimes, 93.2% male. 6.8% 6.8% female. The point is, is that Paul's writing to a culture where homosexuality is accepted as a part of life for both men and women. And he sees that women are abandoning their natural function against, against that which God has built into them. So when the wrath of abandonment has come about, restraining grace has been removed from a society. Women are given over equally as men therefore susceptible to the prevailing culture of the day, and in this case, lesbianism. In doing that, they're suppressing God's design for motherhood. Why do you think the family is under such attack? It's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. It's people being given over. And and not, not only that, but wanting to give hearty approval to those who practice the same, as we're told at the end of this chapter. 
Verse 27, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Homosexuality is the second step in invoking the wrath of abandon, the, the wrath of abandonment of God from God. Interesting here, Paul doesn't use normal pronouns for men and women. I thought this was really interesting because there's so much hot debate out there right now about gender. He doesn't use man and woman. He uses male and female. He goes to the root. He goes to the actual gender. And the Greek words here is when he talks about a male, it's a male of any species. When he talks about a female, it's a female of any species. He's talking about gender. He's not talking about some, and in his mind, there wasn't any, the popular term is fluid, gender fluidity, which means that there's a man here and there's a woman here. And now you get to choose anywhere in between where you land. Nonsense. It's male and female. Biological sex assigned at birth or from birth, actually in the womb. Something I want to mention here too, one of the things that the homosexual community runs up the flagpole in trying to justify is they look at this passage and they say that God gave them over and that it was a good thing when God gave them over. It is not a good thing. The freedom to disobey God should be seen here as judgment. It's not as kindness. And I have heard that argument before. Well, God gave us over because he knows that that's how we were born. And you know, and I, yeah, you were born that way, but repentance is available. Those who engage in such, act, such acts are receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. There has been much said about that. Again, I want to be careful. Homosexuality is one type of sin, and sin bears consequences. Very often, sin bears consequences in this life, even up to and including death. Look in 1 Corinthians 11 where the Corinthians were doing the Lord's table the wrong way. Look at, I mentioned last week, Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts chapter five. Sin brings consequences. And he's saying that they're receiving the penalty of their error in themselves. So here's what the progression looks like so far. Our society's become pornographic, sexually immoral. Fornication and adultery are a way of life. Homosexuality, as well as embracing and propagating aberrant sexual expressions, have become the norm. It's just what's being done. And, and, and it's not, it doesn't just stop there. It's not that these things are now being tolerated. I remember 15 years ago, it was like, well, we want tolerance from the, the LGBT community. And, and no, they didn't want tolerance. Uh, they wanted acceptance. It's not that these things are being tolerated that they're, or that they're even now being accepted. Now they're being celebrated. The next step is penalizing whatever, whoever runs contrary to what is celebrated. I look at this last week at the Equality Act being passed by the House of Representatives in Congress. Yeah, and it probably won't make it through the Senate because I don't think they're going to get 60 votes. But the very fact that it's even in the public forum to penalize us as Christians, as a church, to say that if I want to hire someone, I have no choice in the matter. 
that I have to hire outside of what we hold as our own convictions? I'll tell you what, the thought police are real and they're coming. Whether this makes it or not, we're there. It's a product of our society. It's part of what I mean when I say we're there. And, And pray, pray that our elected representatives see the hostile takeover that's being attempted in our world, in our country, in our nation. It's a result of the wrath of abandonment from God. God's saying, you want to have a society that's structured that way, you've got it. Look last week at what I call the religions of man a a little bit. We talked about scientism, remember? Uh, That's man worshiping at the altar of science. It's a big deal. Uh, It's where science is seen as the only way to perceive and understand reality. Well, Jesus differed when he said, I am the way. (laughs) It's not science. Another thing I want to talk about this morning, and I'm going to read you a rather lengthy article, but I think it's really worth going into, is the subject of what is called wokeism. And I don't know if you have looked at what wokeism is, but it refers to a perceived awareness of issues that concern social justice and racial justice, to which cancel culture, what we're seeing right now, is central. The, the cancel culture that's going on, I mean, this last week they canceled Dr. Seuss. And, and, and I mean, anybody is fair game. And I will submit to you that all of that that is going on is clearly understood through Romans chapter 1. Uh, this article says it better than I could, so I'm going to read you an excerpt from it. Uh, it's a simple but serious question for society's cancel crusaders. It's by a, a guy by the name of Peter Heck a conservative writer, love reading his stuff. Uh, he says, it's only a matter of time until the woke bell tolls for all of us, because that is the altar at which our, our culture has foolishly chosen to worship. Having rejected God and his moral precepts, we've concocted our own counterfeit morality, minus the grace, forgiveness, and love with which he administers his. That's true. So before my inevitable and inescapable canceling renders me publicly mute, (laughs) saying, let me get this out before they cancel me, I'd like to pose a question to those feigning control over this out-of-control freight train of intransigent, which means they're set, they're unwilling to change their views, this intransigent judgmentalism. Here's the question. By what standard are you rendering your cancellation verdicts? What's the standard? He says, don't misunderstand We all are fully aware of what has been classified as bad. The isms, racism, sexism, heterosexism, classism, ableism, gender binarism, the isms, the phobias, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, the catch-alls, MAGA affiliation. There's a big one. Don't wear your red hat. Western civilization apologists, failing to list your preferred pronouns if for no other reason is a sign of conformity and solidarity. I've seen that. Now you look on some of the social media sites and people will put their preferred pronouns after their name as though they need to clarify. Again, we all know what is considered culturally sinful. I'm asking why you say it is. What is the moral guidepost you are using to make that declaration? After all, it should be clear by virtue of the fact that we are torching copies of Fox in Socks, that's a Dr. Seuss book, 
and tearing down statues of anyone born before the year 2015, that prevailing sentiment and popular opinion are not reliable foundations for moral absolutes. So what's your foundation? What tells you that racism is wicked? Or that saying cruel things about a gay person is wrong? I'm not arguing with you about your conclusion. Conclusion. I'm asking you how you arrived at it and how you know that it's trustworthy. For us Christians, that's a pretty simple answer. We recognize that telling humanity something is wrong just because a group of us, even a massive group of us, think it is, leaves us all flapping in the breeze of moral relativity. That's so true. The Nazis had majority support for their heinous views, after all. No. The only way morality can be absolute, that is reliable enough to hold others accountable to it, is if there's a moral law that exists outside of all of us, something beyond our opinions and our preferences. We believers find that something in the character of God. That's why we need scripture. When I declare racism, racism is evil and that saying cruel things about a gay person is immoral, I'm comparing those actions against the character of God as revealed in the Bible. That's our answer key, he says. Actions that are consistent with God's character are good. Those that are in conflict with God's character are bad. That's fixed. That's unmovable. That's absolute. That's reliable. As much as I know that they have it in for all of us, I can't and won't fault the council crusaders for desperately trying to exert a moral code. Mankind is wired to no one and needs one. Truthfully, the flailing attempt to create their own feeble forgery is nothing of it, uh, is nothing if it isn't another one of, quote, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. To the cancel mob, you are right that there is a moral and immoral, uh, that there is moral and immoral, good and bad, right and wrong. But those categories cannot and will not exist in a universe or culture divorced from God's righteousness. So what if we rechanneled our cancel impulses into learning more about him? How to mutually submit to and enjoy him? I bet if we did, we wouldn't be able to avoid obtaining the capacity to love mercy as we deal with one another. Isn't that a better approach to improving society? That's how he ends that article. I know that's long, but it's just packed with meaning and understanding and application to where we're at in Romans chapter one and where we're at as a society. It's a counterfeit morality that man is thrusting forth. Remember, we've been talking about that he, he pushes back, he, he pushes down, he holds back what is true, and he swaps it out for the lie. The cancel culture is the lie. It's the counterfeit morality. There's no basis, and that's what he's saying here. So you don't have any basis in reality. You have a basis in opinions, and they're as willy-nilly as it gets. That's why, for decades... Kids have loved Dr. Seuss books and now they're bad. That's why uh, somebody can be complete. I read an article about a New York Times, uh, and I don't think that's a great paper, but a New York Times reporter that, that used a racial slur. He was interviewing someone who had been, who had used, I guess, the N-word with somebody else. And he used the word in the interview and they fired him. They said, we don't care how you said it, it's that you said it. 
And it's like, there is no grace. There is no understanding. There is no mercy. There is no understanding. It's either you are or you're not. And folks, it's coming for us. As we look at the wrath of abandonment, we see that sin becomes both the cause of God's giving them over because they chose to reject him. So sin is the cause that God has given men and women over, but it's also the effect of his having given them over because greater sin is the result of being given over. Do you see how this self-perpetuates and how it grows? Look at how it has exploded in our world in the last year. Folks, we're close to the end. The result is a moral free fall into the abyss of depravity. That's the third step in bringing about the wrath of abandonment by God. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased or a reprobate or a depraved mind, depending on which translation you're using, to do those things which are not fitting. Interesting. The word here for debased is adokimos. What it means is not standing the test. It's rejected, disqualified for it from its intended purpose. That's the word. When he says given over to a reprobate mind, that your mind fails the test, you are no longer useful for, for what God intended. So add to this progression that we're talking about a reprobate mind. Unable to function as God intended, completely given over. First Timothy chapter four, verses one and two. Paul writing to a young pastor says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. When you're dealing in a society where people reject without, I mean, they will not even get to the point of weighing it out. That's no longer the case. It's no, I reject. And, and not only do I reject, I expect you to reject. And if you don't, you're going to be punished. What kind of world are we living in? These are people whose conscience has been seared is with an iron. At this stage, men's minds are surrendered to their own impulses and lusts manifesting in their actions. Begins with the mind shows up in the actions. That's what verses 29 and following are about. It says being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There are whisperers and backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. I think that that's fascinating. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. As a mouthful. And I'm not going to break each one of those down <laughs> for lack of time. The point in all of this is that man's depravity is uncorked as a result of being given over. As a result of God's restraining grace being taken out of the way. This is the behavior which results because man with a fallen nature, unrestrained, expresses that nature. That's what this is about. It's him expressing the nature of Adam. It's him expressing the nature of sin. And there's no consciousness of sin. Oh, there is deep down in the heart, but that's been pushed down. That's been suppressed. That's been held back. 
Uh, I mentioned last week that in the jail that, that I would ask inmates, did you not know that what you did that landed you here was wrong? And I never had anybody tell me, oh yeah, I didn't know it was wrong. No, we know. We know. Mankind knows. I often wonder when I see women that are vehement and vocal about abortion, if it's because they have so much trouble keeping that push down. If there's so much pain that comes from just letting the cork off of that a little bit. I don't know. But I'll tell you, folks, sin begets greater sin in this case. Repentance isn't anywhere around. The mind has blocked it. Spiritual blindness is complete. Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as, as a man thinks within in himself, so he is. All of this violence, immorality, cruelty, degradation comes from when men abandon the true knowledge of God and the state of our society reflects God's judgment, his wrath upon them for these things. Verse 32 He says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Isn't that perverse? Again, greater sin. Not only do I no longer care, not only do I push back and and hold any aspect of conviction for my own lifestyle, but I'm going to give hearty approval to those that I can recruit to it. You know, there's a, a law in California for pastors that if I go to witness to a homosexual person that I could be accused of conversion therapy and it's against the law. Big deal. and do it anyway. The point is, is that they're making it illegal for us to exercise moral judgment. And it's real. I mean, like I said, it's in Congress right now. Folks, that's the world that we are living in. And we have to be aware that that's the case. Are we going to be unwise? No. Are we going to stand our ground? Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to see God glorified in our lives. And he won't be glorified in compromise. Three things from verse 32. Three terrible realities. The first is they have complete inner knowledge. in, inside, they, they know that their ways deserve and must have divine condemnation and judgment. They know it and push through anyway. The second thing, they persist in their practices, practices despite the witness of their own conscience. Like I said, seared, sealed off. The third thing is, is this is how it's rendered in the New American Standard, that they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. My parents were alcoholics, uh, my stepfather and my mother, and they really liked to go hang out at the cocktail lounge. Why? Because they were with people that didn't act on that conviction as well. They were with others of their peers. Why do you think that there are meth houses? Because I'm comfortable in my sin when I'm around other people who are sinning. As I mentioned, you know, if I go and I witness to a homosexual, that's called conversion therapy or that, that I'm, I'm guilty of a crime. But the homosexual agenda, agenda is to recruit as many people to that lifestyle as you can and give hearty approval to those who practice it. It's craziness. 
That wraps up chapter one. Um, <laughs> I put kind of tongue in cheek that here. Before you congratulate yourself too much on being better than those listed here, chapter two is coming. <laughs> so uh, this this great indictment of humanity. I mean, he starts with this horrible picture of what it looks like when man pushes back against God to the point where God says, okay, fine, I'm not going to strive with you any longer. And yet I praise God that he does strive with those whom he loves, those who are willing to look, those who acknowledge him. Praise God for that.